Greetings, the damned. Welcome to Pod Damn America, the goth socialist podcast for werewolves that are in unions and shit. Um, that was the sound of the Salt Bay chopping up steaks for Nicolas Maduro. The president of Venezuela. Um, I feel like this story got lost in the last 24-hour news cycle because, as we all know now, the president has um, the the he has the worst character in Mario Kart for penis. Um, I feel like I don't really subscribe to this conspiracy theory that. He does stuff like this to distract us, or that they manipulate the news because he's up to something really devious and insidious. Uh, you know, while we're all talking about his toad penis, but it, I, I gotta be honest with you, I'm a little bit. I think that might. I mean, it's it's too good. It's like too good of a fucking story. Um, it sucks. You can't even make jokes about it, really, because like, what else? How are you funnier than the, the story itself? You know president's dick looks like the, t the mushroom character from Mario Kart that's how she said it in the interview she's like a mom she doesn't even know she, who Toad is um, hilarious um, but uh, but more to the point um, <laughs> that story came out like last night as I'm recording this um, or rather last night maybe this morning um, but right before that, story slipped through the cracks that's very relevant to our podcast today, which is that the Salt Bay guy, the ponytail chef guy who sprinkles salt down his elbow, went viral uh, last year or year before that or whatever. Um, in the middle of the night, he just decided <laughs> um, to tweet out some videos of himself. Um serving steaks to Nicolas Maduro and doing like salt based stuff doing like the weird sexy knife cutting of the steak and the salt and everything's a little bowl of salt he's you know I mean he's like a Chewbacca mom type at this point you know he's really really trying to cash in on it which I don't blame you uh, did the same thing guys um, remember that yeah it's a, who gives a fuck <laughs> there's no money we have to just grab as much of this fucking money as we can um but, uh, you know, so he tweets out these, these weird videos, and it's in the middle of the night, I don't know if it's like a time zone thing or what, I was kind of drunk last night, I just see him, oh my god, this is so weird, you know, he's doing salt-based shit for Maduro, Maduro's smoking a cigar, he's wearing a bib that has salt bay on it, with the glasses and everything, <laughs> um, they hug, Okay, it's hard to really tell what exactly is going on or what the context is. I mean, this guy's just whatever. He's just on a tour of the world, you know, <laughs> trying to promote his bullshit based on his, you know, his viral meme. Um, there's also another video where he's just is rifling through Maduro's, like, stash of cigars. It's pretty cool. Um, but then, guess what? 
You know who else is up? Drunk using Twitter? Marco Rubio. So Marco Rubio last night, <laughs> he saw Salt Bay, because of course, you know, he follows Salt Bay, and um, <laughs> is like, you know, desperately trying to be cool to maintain his image. Rubio's always talking about like rap beef. He doesn't understand shit. So he sees Salt Bay and he gets real mad, and he doxed Salt Bay. <laughs> Marco Rubio tweeted out the address and phone number of Salt Bay's restaurant in Miami, presumably for people to harass Salt Bay over, you know, um, fraternizing with the um, <laughs> the supposed dictator of Venezuela, the elected president, Nicolas Maduro. Uh, <laughs> which is weird, because, you know, I feel like these people always end up just making... Um, their enemies look cooler. He's probably driving some uh, some business to this restaurant. It's called Nusret or something. Um, although the doxing the phone number is kind of weird. I don't know. I feel like all that stuff's available online. Anyway, it's fucking weird. Um, <laughs> but um, I don't really know how it ended because Salt Bay then, in response, I guess he maybe realized that, you know, a government official was harassing him <laughs> so he took the videos down and now if you go to his twitter page there's just like a video or just a picture of him with a like like 13 children and it just says my family there's no adults it's just a bunch of children i don't know what the fuck's going on i don't know salt bay's life you know um but also also uh <laughs> if you go back to before you know the the last things he tweeted right before his trip to venezuela there's just a picture of him in black and white that just says black salt bay. I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, but yeah, look up those videos. There, somebody, you know, ripped him. He, he took him down off of his Twitter, but like, you can, there's, you know, scathing New York Post captures of them. <laughs> uh, pretty weird. So, um, yeah, that's a, that oddly, um, on point for what we're going to talk about today. I have a uh, a journalist who I met um, when I was out doing shows. Um, who I've been talking to a little bit about um, just sort of like giving us a little basic one on one on Venezuela since it's like it's a topic that no one seems to understand, which is you know kind of the kind of the point of this show. I started doing the show when I was like after Charlottesville, all the New York Times, you know, pieces and Washington Post pieces, all these pieces came out of uh, describing Antifa as this, um, you know, terrifying super soldier organization. I just I noticed, oh, they're getting this wrong. Okay, there's a pretty low bar here. I can get it better than the, the media is getting it right. Um, so that's kind of, I think, what the aim here is with Venezuela. Um, all of the media that's coming out about Venezuela is so fucking bad. Uh, we're going to take a crack at just sort of demystifying it a little bit. Um, everyone gets it wrong. Even our pal, John Oliver, uh, did a pretty weird job with it. Um, okay. So anyways, without further ado, uh, the president's penis is a the mushroom guy from Mario Kart. 
take off um to um uh you know fulfill his alibi um or whatever oh uh, for yeah uh for doing 9-11 Rogov did 9-11 <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> i'm trying to get the government called on all my friends uh it feels lonely that's good me. initiation yeah. um <laughs> anyways uh me and anders are here speaking with uh adalberto antonio toledo um, a journalist who I believe I met in Chicago when I was out doing shows. Um, you came right. to the house show, right? Yeah, I did. I, I was there for a little bit. I actually had to step out, but I managed to get a little high in before I left. So nice. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. So, uh, basically, uh, you know, thanks for coming to the show or thanks for coming on the show um yeah it's it's good to be a part of the damned you know yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, apparently we're being called now i don't really know how that <laughs> yeah. the whole situation is I uh, maybe we should have like a constituent assembly sort of situation uh like venezuela did to where we can all figure out what exactly we want to do <laughs> uh but just one nice. party though and no, no none of that sort of business all right what, I, tanky communism all the time. That is one hell of a segue. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, segue uh, perfectly relevant and valid because we're here um, to talk about, or you're here to talk about Venezuela with us, um, right. which I'm excited about because, you know, as a leftist, I mean, you know, part of the reason I'm making this show is like political ed. Um, and right. I'm also, you know, a student of all this stuff. Um, and I think it's probably a good idea to get to the bottom of Venezuela because Venezuela is a lot of the right wings, like favorite talking point just to dismiss socialism in general. It's the sort of thing that they use as like a, a scapegoat for, you know, somehow Venezuelan communist or Venezuelan socialism, uh, you know, is exactly the way that it always has been. Um, and it's exactly like Cuba and it's exactly like the USSR and all these nonsense ideas that they these people have but you know it's not exclusive to americans i will say that sure yeah. um yeah and it's it's being used uh you know very reductive way to just embody like this idea of a uh, you know one type of state clearly works because if you start it in a vacuum it's going to play out this way and one of them right. doesn't right. etc um and i also think um there's not enough probably probably not enough uh, being written about it not enough ink being spilled and that stuff that is being made is insufficient so like recently yeah i think i would actually disagree with you i'd say that it's being it's being written about entirely too much by people who have no fucking clue what they're talking well, about sure um yeah i mean it, it seems like for example, like um, a lot of the time that I s read this stuff in the Times and the Post and the Miami Herald is another big paper that covers this um, a lot because there's a sizable Venezuelan population in Miami and southern Florida. But all of these places sort of take the, the side of, of some of these institutions like, um, you know, Policy International and, and so, sort of these think tanks that 
that supposedly tell the truth about everywhere in an equal way, but really don't. Yeah, um, my biggest gripe is probably with the um, last week tonight with John Oliver, being that he occupies the space that we sort of do as a you know comedy like politics show, right. Um, right. also on HBO, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> just right, like exactly. us. Um, <laughs> hello, hello, I'm John Oliver, and welcome to the Damned. Uh, <laughs> Hot Damn America, popular HBO program. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, but John Oliver did an episode about Venezuela and sort of came to some pretty, like, lame conclusions. Um, yeah, it was the same thing that people trot out every time. It was sort of disappointing to see it, actually, because he's so good on other things. Yeah, he often yeah. is. Um, he's also, but I'll give you this, one uh, sort of couple degrees of separate. We are a couple degrees of separation from uh, him now via that show because there's a clip on the show where he... Um, he, oh, really? he shows um, these two people fighting in public, and it's like some guy, you know, some MAGA hat chud guy going like, Venezuela, whatever, and then there's this, like, hipster woman standing there wearing, like, this Sailor Moon-ass outfit. Oh, yeah. And she goes like, we just want, like, fucking healthcare or something, right? We just right? want right. Um, that, Dasha, right? That's, that was that's, Dasha, that's Dasha, yeah. That yeah, was yeah. Adam Friedland's girlfriend, who was a host of Red Scare. Dasha, yeah. uh, a lot of people don't know this. First, her name is short for the share zone. All right, that just want to get that joke in there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, gotta yeah. fulfill the the sort of episodical uh, come town reference every time. <laughs> Not enough come town yeah. references on last week tonight. I will say uh, that would be cool though. That would yeah. be that yeah. would be really cool. Dan Ninen, look at me. Does a half hour? He does a half hour on Dan Ninen. Uh, That'd be great. I'm actually here to say that that the Venezuelan economy collapsed because somebody charged a Samsung (laughs) Galaxy. There you go. Anyway, Dan Ninen would do a show in Venezuela, like for Maduro. Oh, absolutely. No question. Whichever side. No one would understand him. Everybody would be confused. But because Maduro is laughing because he's on some sort of drug or something. Everybody else has to laugh as well. So he ends up somehow becoming like the most popular comedian in, internationally and making way more money than any of you can. Yeah. God, everything's so depressing. Yeah. Anyway. Adam, you're a bug, Adam. <laughs> All right. Uh, that wasn't even a good John Oliver. I'm losing my British accent. Anyways, anyways, uh, Ad Alberto, thank you uh, for joining us. And uh, please explain Venezuela to us. Um, so it, it's sort of a very interesting situation because um and there's been a few uh articles written about it that i actually enjoy reading as opposed to the normal nonsense but it it really is a complicated issue and and you have to understand very different aspects of the of venezuela and venezuela's history and its economy to really get down to why things are the way that they are right now so when you look at the, the the way that the functioning economy of venezuela has worked for the past 50 40 years it's been very tied to the oil economy. And uh, Venezuela has this very specific type of crude oil that's very difficult to refine. So you have to have very specific uh, infrastructure for that, that you have to constantly upkeep and everything, uh, which will become relevant later on. Um, but when you look at the the way that oil prices and, and the revenue of the uh, Venezuelan government, uh, you look at the fact that it's, oh, for example, in, in 1993, Three, I believe it was in at 67 percent, and then it's written risen now to 95 percent. So all the money that the Venezuelan government is getting is from the oil sector, 
which you know not a thriving sector the oil sector so yeah. um it's it's not a it's a problem that that it's faced forever and it's subject to the boom and bust cycles of the economy and as well as the uh cartel that is opec and their price setting measures as well as the fact that uh production um you know have to keep up with the production as well as the fact that um countries like the united states which was the largest exporter or importer of venezuelan oil um actually has rolled back over the years it's the amount of oil that they import because we've become more energy independent in this country in a lot of really crazy ways like fracking etc but um you know to to go off of this oil and oil industry and everything the um national oil company is pdvsa and my dad actually worked for pdvsa he was a manager there and uh in 2002 after uh chavez came to power um he actually was one of 20,000 people that was fired by the uh, hugo chavez um because of their uh opposition to the government and the fact that they led a i think it was six month long uh general strike among it was, they call it a boss bosses strike because it was primarily sort of managerial class and executives that participated in this and because they weren't there to uh, guide a lot of the workers and etc they um you know the, the economy sort of faltered in that way um so it's a, it's a lot of sort of self-fulfilling prophecies in terms of um you know because of this large general strike that happened uh production went down and uh things were affected in, in that to that extent so that the right could then point to something and say well look look at the way that the um oil company has gone um, because of your government not realizing that they were impacting that as well. Just to, um, just to jump in and clarify, what were the demands for the strike? So the, the demands were basically to completely, I mean, they were pretty outrageous, honestly, because from the very onset, this was right after uh, the attempted coup on Chavez in uh -huh. 2002. So this was really a, an effort of the right and the uh, managerial class of the largest company in the country to basically say we don't want this government we want it to be taken down we want elections now and we want to reestablish the sort of neoliberal government that we had before so it really was that bold face that sort of we need to overthrow the, the regime we've already tried to do it violently and we're not going to work with you that's essentially what okay. what they were saying so uh, the conflict was essentially a private company uh being nationalized and the it going um to be under the auspices of the state so it was a sort of it was already a state-owned company okay. but but it was so influenced by foreign investment um and so sort of in a system that worked alongside other private industry in the country that it essentially was in private hands when you right. really look okay. at it um, and a lot of the people, higher-ups and everybody, were, of course, neoliberals who had been there forever and, and that kind of thing. So, I mean, I really point to this as, as being the, the very beginning of this uh, the, this fight that there, there, there has been between the right and the left in Venezuela more recently. Uh, but it's nothing that's that's not unique. Uh, it's nothing that's unique in in Latin America. I mean, we've seen um, leftist governments being overthrown by uh the united states uh, a lot of times i mean we even the most recent news in, in venezuela is that 
<laughs> that somebody has that the Trump administration has been talking about invading the country and right, it was right. I, as far as I understand Trump was the one who said that he didn't want to do it um, um, the way I kind of heard that story was that um, they had sort of uh, tried to tried to float the same deal to the Obama administration were rebuffed right. and then when Trump came out and sort of started speaking loudly and boisterously about Venezuela they thought oh this guy might be down for it and they tried him which is so terrifying yeah, yeah. Uh, because it's very clearly could have happened you know uh, right. pretty, pretty easily and i honestly wouldn't put it past them even now i sure, mean right. this is a thing that now that they it's on the table i mean now we know that that it really is out there and that they really are floating out these ideas. Um, and it's nothing that's weird. I mean, um, like I said, I mean, September 11th was yesterday, right? I mean, that was when Allende was over from yeah. Chile. Yeah, it's I the mean, anniversary. That, the other 9-11 guys, not the one that <laughs> the Jews did. The one we did forget about. <laughs> yeah. Right, the one that we all forgot about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I mean, uh, this, this sort of right vitriolic hatred of, of the left um, I think when Matt Crisman came on the show last time, he talked about this sort of very intense fight between the left and the right, and how um, the the right really does see it as an existential crisis for itself, and that it has to uh, weed it out in any way that it can. And at this point, the right is functioning in that way in Venezuela. I mean, when you look at the protests in 2014, and when you look at protests in the past of that, they were all headed by uh, right-wing leaders they were all um you know funded by neoliberals and the sort of uh class that ruled the country before the chavez's sort of popular revolution i mean it really is this this um what we're seeing in venezuela today is a uh the right really not wanting to work not wanting to um do anything that will aid the the maduro government or the chavez government yeah, and the, and the aesthetic of it is so easy to see just a thumbnail of if you're in the United States and just kind of glom on to this idea of the resistance. You mentioned 2014. I remember seeing Jared Leto accepting an Oscar for his performance right. on the Dallas Buyers Club. And he's oh, like, God. I stand I with not only Why trans women but me? oppressed people around the world, like in <laughs> Venezuela. I stand here for you. Like, jeez. Oh, yeah. Why, yeah. why, why, did he, why did we listen to celebrities about this shit at all? <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, let me do like a sort of apology of Venezuela real quick, if I could. Sure. So, um, or of the left politics in Venezuela. So, in 1999, when Chavez was elected, uh, it was a sort of very, it was a, a very intense moment in the country because um, I think extreme poverty was at 20%, the highest it had ever been in the country. Um Unemployment was around seventeen uh, percent, um, or un yeah, unemployment was at seventeen percent. Extreme poverty was at seventeen uh, percent. Uh, pensions were horrible. They were having a horrible pension crisis because of neoliberal reforms that um, that you know took money away from from pensions in the public sector, um, and people were tired of uh, uh, this neoliberal government of that was always about private business and private investment, but always left out the the lower classes. There was always this, this um, there's this thing that people say in Caracas. Uh, I'm actually from Maracaibo, which is the, the sort of 
the Boston to New York, that kind of mm, yeah. thing. Like Caracas is New York, and we hate them just because that's how it is. Um, and uh, but apparently, people say in Caracas that in the maps um, of the city, the sort of favela-like um, barrios that existed in the hills weren't included in the um, in the map. So so leftists sort of saw that as like a a, a sort of bold-faced example of how ostracized they were and how left behind by the government they were. So what they did was they elected a popular leftist figure who um, they knew was against uh, neoliberal government because he already tried to overthrow a neoliberal government in the past. Um, he did it in the Caracaso in uh, the 90s. And what they what he ran on was we need to change the constitution so that it doesn't uh, serve private interests, so it doesn't serve um, the the powers that be right now, so it doesn't serve the families that have so much capital and so much land in this country, and so that it can serve everybody else. And uh, they, they wanted housing reform, they wanted to decommodify housing, they wanted to um, expand health care, uh, get rid of an illiteracy problem that had the illiteracy rate in 1999 when he took power was 17%. It's 1% now. It doesn't exist. Um, and what he did for a really long time, from about 1999 to um, 2014 when Maduro came to power, was grow the economy. Poverty fell from 43% in, when he took power uh, to 26% in 2014. Uh, pensions were under $400,000 overall of all public workers and it went to 2.1 million uh malnutrition fell from 21 percent to two percent i mean you can tell that you know these are things that real things that are affecting not the middle class and not the people who the elite but these are these are things that are going to um the poor the poorest of the poor right um and that's what i think that the right sort of doesn't that's where the hatred comes from in terms of the right in Venezuela and the expat community here is that they see it as, oh, the government is handing out all these things to these people and um, we sort of have to fend for ourselves and we have to have a a country that that is the way that it is. When, when really it was a popular revolution that wanted to actually change a course of history that so far had enslaved venezuela to private interests and and imperialist interests for their oil that's what it was throughout the 20th century throughout the 19th century um and they wanted to change that also worth pointing out as you mentioned he was elected chavez and uh, yeah exactly. that kind of uh contradicts a designation he's received in in u.s media including i believe last week tonight that he is a dictator why does that keep uh why is that so pervasive that maduro too that they're dictators when they're clearly been democratically elected right not only are they elected like it's within their own constitution that they can be recalled yeah right so that's actually a good point i was gonna say that is that um when chavez was elected um in 2002 there was a recall election um and it was i mean the the, the left obviously in the in the socialist party didn't like that because they were Testing the 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 sort of power of a person who had gone to power politically or popularly, 
but you know the opposition mustered up the 20 percent necessary that's that says in the constitution to to do this um and they got the recall election and, and, he, and it failed uh massively i think by a larger margin than than it did in 1999 if i remember correctly and you know this is a democratic system that when you know when everybody came to the table in 1999 to make a new constitution everybody's voices were heard and it just so happened that the leftist voices were more and that's the sort of um that, that goes back to that existential crisis of the right is that they felt that they were being left out um and i was actually just having a conversation with my cousin this weekend and he was talking about how you know that they, they all they wanted to do was steal all they wanted to do was enrich themselves all they wanted to do was do all these things and it's like no i mean they, they really did have a message of a progressive message of wanting to to uplift people from their poverty and to make the country better and they fell into things into the corruption that that other countries do other leaders do because they're people um in parentheses because they're tankies uh, in my opinion um <laughs> but um you know it's, it's a sort of thing of uh if you if you really hate something so much like the right did in wanting to recall the election and supporting the coup and and then leaving the country it it sort of is that self-fulfilling prophecy of well capital left because you left you know all these companies are wanting to get out of the venezuelan market because they're scared so then you have uh, shortages of food and, and and basic goods because they're not being produced in venezuela anymore because private interests have moved their companies to other countries and now they have to deal with you know international trade um it, it is sort of a, a a snowball effect of of a lot of different factors and and it really isn't just oh maduro is a horrible president and socialism doesn't work right yeah it seems to be a lot more nuanced than that yeah i do something that i haven't quite gotten a uh, clear answer to is it seems like a big problem um with the venezuelan economy and this goes back to chavez and continues today is that there's it's oil centric as you mentioned uh, right. Why did Chavez not take more steps to diversify the economy? So he, it, that was part of his plan when he ran in 1999, and it was something that that had been talked about, you know, even in the 50s, whenever uh, Venezuela saw its largest sort of public investment in infrastructure and um, the sort of New Deal kind of thing for them. Um, and I haven't really found a clear answer to that in, in everything that I've read. Um, but it, uh, some people attribute it to maybe, you know, maybe that corruption started very early on and they didn't, they sort of very quickly fell away from, uh, wanting to, um, put all of these or, or diversify the economy and more so toward, um, keeping their power. That's, I think what the right would say. Um, but I think that I would say that in, in my opinion, when you, when you look at the way that the economic, the economics of Venezuela functions, it's not prone to a lot of um, sort of private investment in terms of, for example, like um, fifteen percent of the country is national rainforests, and most of that has resources on it. It has like a lot of gold and a lot of ores and and a lot of oil, but you know, whereas everybody has sort of re like thought about it and said, you know, this is a beautiful landscape that. Do we really want to ruin it? So it's a matter of, yes, we could bring all these sort of exploitative, extractive uh, companies, and, and Maduro has been doing that recently. 
but do we want to do it in, in, you know, at the expense of our natural habitats and our our country itself? Yeah, you're really and, like damned if you do, damned if you don't with that whole situation. Yeah, exactly. Because you know, because it, the Venezuelan economy is so centered on um, exports, mm. you do want to f- sort of focus on um, ore and extractive uh, sort of concerns, and to, to sort of drive up uh, other private in- industry uh, like financing, etc. Um, but you can't have that if you don't agree to do it, and it's a matter of whether you should do it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, w- it would have been develop- uh, difficult to develop exports in sort of a socialistic uh, way, um, the way he was kind of able to do with with oil, since it had already been publicly owned. Um, right. Chavez, of course, was was a, a socialist, and it seems like his brand of socialism um, was very big on internationalism, and right. I, I believe he was he worked in cooperation with some other Latin American states and was able to, I think. Uh, loan Argentina money so they could pay off their IMF right, that was, loans and stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was in cooperation with a couple other countries as well. Right. Yeah. That was pretty awesome, and uh, it seemed like right. for a while Latin America was was headed towards the great you know uh, land of Marx. Um, but what what happened? How did that? Because now it seems like the right is is on the rise. I mean everywhere, but. Um, right, in, especially in Latin America, how did that that things crumble so quickly? So I I really do attribute it to um, first the economic pressures that any socialist government, any sort of progressive government has when they're dealing with uh, a hegemonic capitalist system. Um, but of course, there, there's always the fact that you know these are countries that have always been uh, very underdeveloped, very uh, rife with um, you know, imperialist, I guess, international intervention. Um, I mean, Venezuela really could be called a democracy only in 1958, and then again, maybe in the 70s, when they actually had sort of credible real elections. But even then, I mean, and whenever Chavez was elected, I think it was 80, yeah, 89% of Venezuelans believed elections were rigged. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it really is sort of, you have to look at the history of Latin America, that all the coups that, that were sponsored by the United States, all those sort of rightist um, leaders that came to power, um, and the economic pressures that they faced uh, because of geography, because of underdevelopment, and because of the uh, pressures of uh, the American market, which, for example, like uh, one of the things that I really loved about uh, a class that I took in college was that we talked about the economic system that Brazil, uh, Argentina, and a lot of other countries in Latin America tried to employ, uh, which is um, basically creating a, a home market for everything um, from cars to microwaves so that you have your own market for those things and that you don't have to rely on um, imports for that and thus uh, pin your economy to any specific thing. That's what, kind of what AMLO is trying to do. In Mexico. Right, exactly. And ultimately it failed because a Brazilian car isn't better than Ford. And Put her in H. Microwave. Yeah. <laughs> <From the Simpsons. laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Brazil does have, like, 
Embraer is Brazilian, and that they make a bunch of planes and stuff. So that's that's cool. Um, but for the most part, these industries failed because they were they were competing in a market that that allowed sort of um, all these things to disrupt markets everywhere, and, and didn't do it in a in a way that was uh, that thought about the way that it could impact con- other countries, like um, you know Japan make made cars very cheaply and that's why it destroyed our car right. sector um and that's what happened in brazil and venezuela and argentina with ford and and gmc and everybody else it's yeah. just sort of these it, it is sort of <laughs> it is a thing of um when you have this hegemonic power of of capitalism right there you really can't do much yeah i think that's what's interesting about the arguments of being made about Venezuela and other Latin American countries because, you know, none of these things exist in vacuums. And so to blame certain aspects of the, you know, the government within itself, it's like, well, you always have to factor in that these are connected to America and exactly. the global market and, you know, at large. Yeah. And it's pretty, it's pretty bold and bold face in its, in its connection. I mean, they've tried to overthrow governments throughout history and uh, they continue to do so, or to try to do that. I mean, there's rumors, you know, there's a conspiracy theory that they might have killed Chavez by inducting him with something that gave him cancer. Um, one of the stories that I heard from, uh, for, okay, I don't know if that's true. You know, it, it's it's not like that far of a reach. You he know? ate like a cinnamon br- raisin bagel with blocks. Yeah, they gave him the lo- the heavy load bagel or whatever <laughs> oh, the fuck, man. Cynthia Nixon. That's so, yeah, that's... <laughs> Come on, Sin. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We can. <laughs> Sorry. What is a uh, what is good ass Venezuelan food? I'm trying to think of right now. I'm arepas de quino. You said arepas, right? Yeah, arepas is okay. like my yeah. my thing. Tequeños are another thing, and they're like cheese sticks. Yeah. Um. Yeah. They gave it's all a, great. A poison arepa. They filled the cheese with. Yeah, they gave him poison, poison arepa with some cancer on it, <laughs> and then he ate it, and it gave him cancer in his hip. And he died. Yeah. Um, okay, so there's another actually conspiracy theory. This is actually pretty funny. Um, there's a there's an idea that Chavez was so Chavez always had this obsession with Simon Bolivar, which is our George Washington, right? Um, he sort of is a liberator of Venezuela, Colombia, Ecuador, a bunch of countries, and he's this sort of in, really intense figure in Latin American history. And he was buried in Caracas. And he, what he did was he was trying to do a project where for the, like, I think it was 200th birthday of the country, he would, um, which was in 2011, he would uh, exhume his body and make a, um, okay, you know, you remember that, that picture that, like, the History Channel made of Jesus and how Jesus looked, like, really weird and everything? Oh, yeah. Remember that? That's supposedly what he actually yeah, looked so like the, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, this is what he actually looked like. Surprise, he's not white. Yeah. Um, but... They did the same thing with Simon Bolivar, and he looks really strange. And his picture, that that sort of rendering, that like 3D rendering that they made, is everywhere in the country. But basically, he exhumed, they exhumed his bones to do this so that they could um, look at his face and his facial structure and everything. <laughs> and apparently there's a theory, or a conspiracy theory, that when they did this, uh, Chavez wanted to do some Santeria on it. Hell yeah. And, uh, yeah I do practice and, like, Santeria. Some, <laughs> Yeah, he do practice Santeria. <laughs> um, he apparently I had there were a lot of rumors. oil shares. I... 
Sorry. Nice. <laughs> and the worst guitar <laughs> solo ever plays. Yeah. <laughs> but, but sorry, what do you do? So he had a lot of uh, rumors around him that he practiced that kind of stuff and that he was into these cults and, <laughs> yeah. and the, you know, Amazons and all this stuff, which is just cool. Yeah, like, that's just no, that like rules. a better, that's like a, like, this is another example of him connecting so well with the Venezuelan people because they're all <laughs> like that. Yeah. They're all like Santeros and they're all like incredibly into magia, un mago, una maga. Yeah, it's intense. Uh, but he exhumed his body and took a bone from his hip and crushed it up and smoked it, apparently, <laughs> or oh. ate it or, ex- or consumed it in some way yeah. to, you know, get the liberator's power. I mean, this is, you know, the man who liberated Latin America. You want to you know, yeah. eat his bones? To Why be- not? To become truly one with Relor, the Lord of Light, you must eat exactly. Simon Gulibar's must- bones, mm. his hip exactly. bones. Exactly. Yeah. Only then right. will you slay the boy king yeah. and uh, right. take your place as the uh, emperor <laughs> of the fucking Western right. Hemisphere. I've been reading so a lot of Game of Thrones, sorry. Yeah, I, I feel you. Um, so there's this, a thing that says that he died uh, from... So he died from hip cancer, first of all. And they're saying, oh my god, he oh. ate a bone from his hip. Oh. And he was cursed. And then he died... From hip cancer. Oh my god, that's that totally rules. It. Yeah, isn't that? Yeah, that's literally. That's totally it. Holy yeah. shit! Wow. And I, I don't, I don't not believe that the United States somehow has anything to do with like Santeria and Venezuela and are also infiltrated in there. Oh, yeah. like, well, you know, like that. <laughs> I yeah. mean, if we're doing some <laughs> men who stare at goat shit, we're definitely we've definitely dipped into the dark arts. We've given. Yeah, shot. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. didn't we like? You know, didn't we put like a bunch of people in the uh, Black Panther movement, and then it was literally all CIA people at that point by yeah. the end? Yeah, 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 a room full of people uh, that were all actually agent provocateurs. <laughs> yeah, dude, right, that shit's exactly. so funny. I read this book about the FBI, and it was cracking me up because there's this chapter about how like um, a bunch of people, a bunch of agent provocateurs, um, just never came back to the FBI because they were having too good of a time hanging out with like the Black Panthers and shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> just deserted their job. That's so funny. Yeah. Um, I do want to. To ask about uh, today with the situation with Maduro, I mean, we we discussed how, you know, the resistance, uh, so-called, is really just a pretty anti-democratic force um, uh, that's bought and sold by the, yeah, yeah, by the bourgeoisie uh, and uh, and also backed by the U.S. But there's, um, are certain socialists who are taking the exact opposite tack that um, Maduro is a an unfairly maligned figure this is any criticism of him is pure US propaganda uh, and we have to support his regime um, why is that also not really a very good uh, way of understanding the situation oh yeah all those people have like Joseph Stalin as their Twitter app yeah. and shit yeah that's what I was gonna say like all those people really really like Lenin and will defend him to the end which like you know I will too sometimes but did you hear yeah, that he jacked really off is. with Paul McCartney though like, that's oh. pretty cool I didn't know that <laughs> it's a story that came out this week I mean the story obviously is John Lennon and Paul McCartney apparently like jacked off right. together at some point during the Beatles and everyone's making jokes about I mean it they, did they did it with lot, Vladimir right? Lennon's uh, a bone from his hip actually. yeah they, well, they were fucking his corpses and that's why they yeah. died that's yeah. why they, and that's why both of them are dead now <laughs> yeah Paul especially McCartney Paul McCartney yeah 
Right, who are both dead. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> the real Paul McCartney, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was swapped. It was an FBI plant. It's all it part of an FBI plant. It's all connected. It's not bullshit. <laughs> he was Read used... my blog. <laughs> <laughs> the real Paul McCartney um, died doing brujeria somewhere in the jungle in Venezuela. Yeah, exactly. Trying to in, summon in a demon to kill Chavez. Doing peyote in ayahuasca <laughs> and finding himself. No, okay, so to answer your question, I mean, I think that's... That's just not really understanding the situation. I mean, he really is. When you look at the Constituent Assembly election that happened uh, in July of this year, um, which um, he called because uh, the National Assembly, which was uh, controlled by the opposition and currently still is, tried to do this sort of constitutional maneuvering by electing their own uh, Supreme Court. So there was like at some there were two Supreme Courts. And there were, you know, there was a, the official Supreme Court and then, like, the shadow Supreme Court that was nice. doing other shit. Yeah, like the shadow, cool, damned <laughs> Supreme yeah. Court. Cloaks and shit, uh, I like it. No, they're not cool, though. Um, basically, Maduro saw that and said, okay, I probably don't like that, having this sort of uh, political control on this, on this level. Um, but what he did was really solidify his power in july and what what does that say that says that he's he really is a dictator that everybody says he is and that it wasn't a democratic system um because although there were a lot of people who boycotted it from the right i mean they didn't really they sort of gerrymandered it to where it really was all um psuv members in um or socialist members in in that constituent assembly uh, so at this point, you really, you really do see that it really all is all just corruption. And and I mean, he today. I mean, I saw this on in the Miami Herald. Um, you know, this hyperinflation issue is fueling uh, private private people with a lot of capital to do uh, manipulate currency exchanges to where they get a bunch of money. Uh, you could basically like turn a thousand dollars into fourteen thousand dollars. If you exchange it correctly, uh, yeah, uh, if you I read play that. Your cards right. That cool yeah, like and, grift you could do, where you take one dollar and yeah. you buy a cheeseburger, and then you sell it in another country and flip it a bunch right. of times. Which, by the way, is a thing that a lot of people did in the government. You know, every from you know from the '60s to now. But the socialists really did it in a very special way. Like the Chavistas really did it in like a. And like a man, you're really like not hiding that you're corrupt. Like this is just pretty intense, like kind of corruption that you got going on here. Um, and you know they've been tried to drug cartels and all this stuff, and they are pretty credible things to believe. Um, and their ties to Cuba, which is tanky nonsense, also. You know that sort of that that's where Maduro and and Chavez are irredeemable to in my to my to me is because they they really do want to just have all the political power and not have a democratic system that even they talked about at first. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. So what do you say then to somebody who's like a radical living in Venezuela like do they try to find a better party or make a better party or they just go fucking full on anarchist? So this is the this is the question that I was fearing from this because <laughs> it, it's one of these things where 
you really don't know and you should, probably shouldn't speculate. I mean, that's like a thing that you should do always, but um, maybe that's the journalist in me. But I think at this point what you can do is really just try to overthrow the government and put your own thing in there. But because the sort of democratic systems that are in place can't do that anymore because it's so either, you know, the opposition or the, uh, the now I guess the, the Maduro's party. Right. So it is a battle between these two interests and, and where you, it, it is this sort of thing of like that you see in this country of, um, you know, Democrats hating on Bernie people because, oh, why weren't you with us? You know, we all wanted the same, we all want the same things, don't we? That kind of thing. Yeah. And it's like, no, we don't all want the same things. Like, uh, a lot of these leaders that, that could be made, um, that, that could be put up by the opposition, like Leopoldo Lopez and Capriles and all these people, they all come from, uh, you know, Asendado families in, in, in Venezuela who have been there forever and in, in the history of the country. You can see them all the way back to the 1800s. Um, you know, they have all this accumulated capital that they've used for political campaigns, for private, for, you know, self-interest, that kind of stuff. Um, and what are they going to do? They're going to do what they're doing in, in, in Argentina, which doesn't work. I mean, as we know, with Macri and his neoliberal reforms, we're going to have, I mean, Leopoldo Lopez, to me, is a lot like Peña Nieto in uh, Mexico, the yeah. guy who recently got taken out. All right. Uh, like, he was so unpopular. And I really think that Leopoldo Lopez would be popular for a while. But because he's just another Emmanuel Macron or, you know, um, Justin Trudeau, he's just going to be, he's just going to drive the country into chaos again, like like Caldera did before him in the 90s and like Perez Jimenez did and, and all these presidents of Venezuela that tried to do good but ended up not being able to. Mm. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, it's, it's interesting looking at Latin America because I feel like we, and I am going to make some huge generalizations and speculations here, but I feel like the U.S., we're like a, a few steps behind Latin America in that we're still figuring out the parliamentary thing. And it's like you can't achieve things through that. Uh, but we're, we're coming up on after we try to do that, we're going to see how how that actually uh, can have um, can kind of crumble, too. And, we, and you know, we're going to have to pick up the pieces at some point. Uh, right. So, I mean, I am kind of sympathetic to the argument that, like, yeah, if if you're in Latin America, like the parliamentary system only got you so far, like you need some another form of of politics. Right. Exactly. And you know, you bring up a really good point because uh, one of the things that was that was really instilled in me from birth is political action and and being politically active. Um, because Venezuelans are so politically active, I mean, um, you know, that 2002 strike, um, that, I mean, it was a rightist strike and it was sort of, uh, based on private interests and, and wanting to, on neoliberal interests or liberal interests. Um, but it was, they did it because they had a history of protesting or fighting governments of, of overthrowing governments of, of doing all of these things and changing things radically, um, Whereas in the United States, you don't have that. I mean, um, the Venezuelan constitution has been changed 26 times in, in the history of the country. And we're only 200-something years old, 207 years old. 
Um, so when you really look at it in the in the when you don't have a stable constitution, you can only do so much. Um, and the most stable one in in 1968 was the one that got Venezuela to the place where it was in the in the 90s with large poverty, huge inequality, and uh, wealth inequality, wealth, wealth disparity in general. Um, and it, they thought that they, you know, in 1999, that they could change that and, and make it better. And that's the thing that people forget all the time is that everybody came to the table. Everybody agreed to having a new constitution in that way. And what the right wants to do in Venezuela now is to have, I mean, my cousin this weekend was like, you know, I'd be okay with the United States invading a country and, and you know, doing wow. doing all the things that they do. <laughs> you know, doing the, the, the famously, famously restrained and, and really thought out things that they do when they invade a country. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it really is this thing of, I don't want international intervention in Venezuela, but has it has it gotten worse enough to where people want to rise up against the government and, and really come together? Um, and I don't think that, that that can't be answered yet. I think that the animosity between the two groups is really big, and the people in the middle that just, or the I guess not in the middle, but the people <laughs> in the fringes uh, don't really want um, don't really want what they want. So um, to that point about what people want, um, something I think is kind of interesting that you might be able to to help uh, us understand a little bit better is um, what uh, you know what what people actually want in Venezuela because you know I, I bring that up because all of our propaganda. You know, all the shit that comes out of these think tanks up here sort of would have us believe um, that there is sort of this cut and dry, you know, reaction. Oh, everyone hates Maduro and all this stuff. And then right. you've got like, you know, people like Abby Martin going down there and going like, no, nah, it's completely the opposite. They love him, you know. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and to me, when I was reading like the Jackman piece you sent me and just sort of brushing up on it a little bit more, like it seemed um, a little bit more uh, nuanced. Like there's kind of a split um yeah in, i mean there's a lot of people who, yeah go ahead uh, just in people's like ideal solution to this problem because there are people i guess the main thing that seems interesting to me is that people are sort of losing their faith in chavista um mm -hmm. like and they may be kind of throwing out the baby with the bathwater in this whole situation right. um can you expound upon that so i, I think that when you look at the the way that people talk about the situation in venezuela they they are really frustrated with um, the situation and not so much with the government um, in terms of the left. Um, so Maduro is still very popular in terms of, um, you know, he could be much less popular, I guess you could say, as, as things are right now. Mm -hmm. um, and somehow he still has retained that popularity. And it is because, you know, there are a lot of people that still believe in the movement. And so they don't know how to separate the movement from the people who ran it, uh, who were corrupt, who were, who did not have them in, in, in their best interest uh, a lot of the time. And then there's the people who are saying that, um, you know, like my cousin, who I don't think is a very big minority, honestly, that really do want uh, international intervention in Venezuela, that, that do want, you know, boots on the ground and, and want to have, um, you know, a violent sort of... Um, taken down of the government and it's not something new i mean they did they tried to do it in 2002 um you know the all the protests in um in venezuela in 2014 and, and more recently have been very violent 
um, because of the of the right, um, and you know maybe maybe the life was to blame for some of them, but you know the the right was to blame for a lot of them as well. Um, so it, it it is this sort of thing of um, nobody really knows what the next step is, and um, the fact that the constituent assembly that was elected this year didn't uh, panned out to just be Maduro trying to uphold his power. I think it really defeated a lot of people's hopes in in the system. Um, so, Anders, you re- you bring up a good point of you know our people, th- this this history of Latin America being very radical and wanting to change its governments and everything. It's like you really have this these two opposing forces that say, well, the revolution already happened. Let's work with this. And the people who are saying we want to have a counter revolution, we want to return Venezuela to neoliberal heaven or whatever that is. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. I'm not cool, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, that sounds actually cool analysis. Quite dire. Yeah. Um, right on. Uh, also, before we uh, wrap up, I don't know. I guess any final thoughts on. Um, I guess I'm trying to figure out what the point of, like, talking about this is, you know, because it's obviously, like, I don't know. It's not like any of us are going to have really great predictions on what the future of this holds. But, uh, I mean, how does this help, like, the the discourse, you know, here in the States, I guess? Well, I think that, you know, if you're, if you're a Venezuelan youth and you're listening, uh, question your parents. Because if you're in this country, you probably do have very right-wing parents that was something i wanted to bring Um, up earlier when you were talking about expats because i see this all the time and as a person who is you know they're immigrants that i come from um i notice this all the time there's this distortion that people get where they you know it's uh very easy to buy into the uh the myth that like well look all these people are fleeing these countries because they're so terrible and you go well yeah but that's kind of circular logic you're talking to the people who left the countries you're not talking to the whole census or whatever yeah i think that's the trap that the sort of American media falls into because of the, um, you know, the situation um, that you're talking about. Um, You know, the expat community here is very conservative, is very right-wing. I mean, my dad voted for Trump, and a lot of people that my dad, um, you know, hangs out with that I got to see throughout my entire life also voted for Trump and are very right-wing. Um, and I don't think that's really exclusive to other Venezuelan communities in the country. I, I really do see it as, as um, very comparable to the way that the Cuban expat community is. Uh, I mean, you know, Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz are the beautiful examples of what the Cuban community can yeah. bring to this. Um, no, but I mean, the the expats here are really funny because they really are sort of, uh, where I'm from specifically, Maracaibo, uh, it's in the state called uh, Zulia. And Sulia is exactly like Texas. One of the main themes that I get from a lot of the expats in, in Houston particularly, um, and because there's not that many of us, I know a lot of them uh, through my parents and at parties and stuff like that, is that they, they are all very wealthy. They're all uh, ex-oil people who have found a, the embracing arms of Shell and Exxon and BP and, and all these other Houston companies. Um, and uh, they were the people that left and, and, you know, did the brain draining of the country that it's suffering from currently. Um, and they were the ones who didn't want to work with the government. And, and they are in part to blame for what happened to it. I think that's the thing that a lot of like, like a lot of Cuban expats always say it's like one of the socialist things that people say is uh, 
um, sorry, hang on. So people talk about like how uh, a lot of the people, Cubans who are here are here because they uh, had a lot of land and were probably like cops and horrible people in Cuba. And like that's true of the Venezuelan people here as, as well. I mean, I guess I would say that, um, you know, like I was saying earlier, that if you're a Venezuelan, you probably should question what you've heard. Um, and then if you're somebody that um, that really likes to look at the full picture of things, you can't you really can't get that from uh, the Western media and from the media in this country and that you have to really actually uh, look at other people as well. Um, and as far as how it will turn out in the future, I really hope that, you know, at some point, maybe other Latin American countries, maybe, you know, China can step in in a way that it's been doing in other countries and, and sort of save this, the, the system. But um, at this point, it, it, Chavismo and, and uh, socialism in, in Venezuela is being threatened. Um, and I don't think that it's going to survive in the way that that I guess we would like it to. Yeah. Oh, mm. uh, well, that's a sad yeah. tale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I would like to think that uh, somehow it might survive this, but it, it seems like people are getting really soured on it. Um, Inflation is this thing where, like, it, it really doesn't have that many fixes. Yeah. And it, the Venezuelan economy isn't really doing um, that well. So it's not looking good. <laughs> Okay. Well, as a proposed solution to the problem, I think what we could probably do is, um, you know, maybe like dig up uh, John McCain's bones and um, yeah. sort of like do a brujeria ritual with them where we uh, arrange right. them and like, um, you know, in like the, the, the formation of a pentagram around a little crash toy airplane and then light <laughs> candles and then, you know, like... Right. Uh, like yeah, and then smoke sort of, ayahuasca out of his skull or something. The opposition exactly. dies and in a plane crash, and then it's just Maduro and the even more radical left. Right, exactly. And then we can have yeah, uh, a beautiful tanky government forever <laughs> that will always work and never fail. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. All right. Well, um, thank you for joining us, Alberto. Um, do you want to plug Thanks for having me. anywhere uh, people can, you know, re- reach you? Or re- uh, read your stuff? Nope. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Cool. I mean, I guess, you know, subscribe to your local news, but also question them in every fucking way that you can, please. Yeah. And always bother them. Uh, but, uh, you know, support my profession, I guess, until I decide to do something else. <laughs> And then don't. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Ambivalous, the ambivalent journalist at old Antonio Toledo. Um, cool. All right. Well, I think that's the show. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to let you go. Thanks for uh, calling in. Let's keep in touch. Thanks, Jake. Yeah. yeah. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, uh, that's the episode for the week. That's a very um, depressing, <laughs> but more realistic look at. Uh, I think the nuance of how shit's going down in Venezuela. Yeah. Um, I think um, if you're really interested in this, um, yeah, read the. Read the I'll link to the Jacobin article he sent us to sort of prime us on this. Um, it sort of explained a little bit more about um, 
I think in a little bit more linear fashion about how uh you know the the dream of uh socialism rose and then uh turned into whatever's happening down there right now with Maduro and shit. Um but yeah, so next time, you know, a like a fat chud guy in a maga hat, you know, goes like, oh, "What about Venezuela?" Um you can, uh, you can say, I got an hour-long podcast <laughs> for you, buddy. Boy, let me tell you. Yeah. And not only that, you can subscribe to their Patreon on uh-huh. patreon.com slash America. Now accessible through the search bar. What? Yeah, what happened? I got it fixed. Oh, cool. Uh, we're just no longer uh, listed as adult content. I thought that we should list it as adult content in case someone fucks with us, but then yeah. it turns out no one does that, and all it did was make us really hard to search. Right. I um, mean, it does have... Damn, in the name. Yeah. Um, um, what's the phrase? Like, better to uh, uh, ask forgiveness than uh, permission. Um, mm. You know what I mean? Wow. <laughs> I'm just going to keep uh, infringing on copyright laws, putting cool music on this show. Yeah. Using curse words and talking about, you know, fucked up shit until, uh, until they take us down. <laughs>